Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Rebecca Asher Walsh is a freelance writer who has written several books about dogs that have been published by National Geographic. She is also the founder and director of the Deja Foundation, a nonprofit that works with rescue groups and adopters to provide scholarships to help ensure a successful adoption in a forever home. Rebecca's special bond with her two dogs, Joe and Buddy, has helped to inform her role as a mother to her twins, who are dog lovers in their own right. Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to Dog Save the People. John, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. And we met years ago through your foundation, which we will talk about in a bit. But I wanted to start first just to find out a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, your relationships with dogs growing up. Sure. So I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, Uh and my first dog was a wonderful, wonderful golden retriever, but a rescue. And I was an only child, so my parents got him for me when I was about five. Oh, wonderful. And he really became my best friend. He came with heartworm and starving, and he was a disaster, and we nursed him back to shape, and he stayed in our lives until I went off to college. So he lived a long time. What was his name? His name was Copper. We didn't name him. I'd like to think I would have been more inventive, but maybe not. Um, And it was an amazing first experience as a dog because New York City was very different then. So starting at the age of seven or eight, I was in charge of walking him. Of course, we knew nothing. So he was unneutered. And I was this tiny child and he was this giant golden retriever. And he would run off to the park chasing all the dogs in heat. And I'd be running after him. And it was never questioned that I would get up in the morning and walk my dog. And even when I was an adolescent, if there was a sleepover at someone's house, I was expected to come back first thing in the morning and walk my dog. And I hated it then, but I look back now and think it was such a wonderful training in the responsibility that we have to animals, that they aren't just there for our amusement as we come and go. It's interesting because this morning I was leaving the house about eight and there's a boy that lives in my building and he's probably, I'd say he's about eight years old and every morning he's walking the family dog and i'm like what a cool and the dog in here literally running down the sidewalk and the little boy ran past me and he said good morning and it was just like one of those great new york moments mm. and the fact that he is being raised similar to you to like walk their dog in the morning and right. also that his parents feel safe i mean it's a great kind of comfort in a way that they feel safe enough that he's out doing this on his own but that no one's going to bother him, I don't think, with a dog and people were watching out. But it was just like such a wonderful visual and probably a great memory for you. No, and it's a gift of independence that your parents trust you to care for another being without having to speak it to you. It's just an example. Yeah. So I really appreciate it. And the fact that you, the fact that you rescued a dog and rescue is very on people's mind now, today, in these past, I don't know, 10 yeah, years. Yeah. But growing up, I mean, it's, I don't think rescue and shelter dogs were as, or shelter animals, dogs, cats, et cetera, were really on people's radar in the same way. I remember it always being on mine. I mean, I think about growing up on the Upper East Side, and certainly there were not a lot of rescue animals. Yeah. But I was volunteering at the ASPCA at the age of 14, I mean, as soon as I could. But you're right, there weren't a lot of people adopting rescue animals. Yeah. And the dogs that the ASPCA took and takes tend to be highly adoptable, not what we would think of as rescue dogs, quote unquote. Exactly, exactly. 
So you grew up in New York City and, and you went away to college? I did. I went to Amherst up in Western Massachusetts. All right, cool. And, you st- and what did you study? I was an art history and English major. Uh-huh. Nice. So you are a writer now? I am a writer now. I'm a writer and an editor. And you write, you've written a few books, mm-hmm. or a, a handful of books about dogs. My background is in entertainment writing. Uh-huh. I was in Entertainment Weekly for a long time, and then freelance writing. I do some travel writing. But a dear friend of mine was running the book division at Nat Geo, and she called and said, I have this idea for this great book that I think could do really well, focusing on amazing dogs. Would you be interested, since you know dogs, and we certainly know you know how to write? And I said, I think it sounds incredible, and how much room do I have to sort of move around and what that book would look like and I was really lucky to have wonderful editors because I said I think first of all it's not about the dogs it can't be about the dogs because as much as I love dogs when talking about one's dog it's like talking about one's children your eyes just roll back in your head right but if we can focus on how these dogs have changed these people's lives and these people then you've got an interesting story to tell and they said that sounds great and then I said I really really want to get as much rescue in there as I can. We're not going to hit it over the head, but if I could just mention in a phrase, you know, who was adopted from or who was found at an event. So that was very helpful. And then we did three books like that. And I slowly, because I'm obviously very involved with Pitbull Rescue, got some more of those in there more and more and more. We still always had a a lab on the cover. I couldn't quite make the (laughs) argument for that pit mix. Of course, I understand. But yes, that was wonderful to be able to do. And what were some of the stories that you that you described in that book? What was the name of the book? So the, the first, first one? was called Devoted, and the next one was called Loyal, and the last one, which came out a year or two ago, was called Love Unleashed. Oh, beautiful. And it really, I would look for, I mean, the mix of stories was very important. I knew when I would do a pre-interview with somebody, if it was going to work, if I ended up being incredibly moved. So... Almost all of the stories that moved me the most were these dogs not just changing people's lives, but making those people then go off to change the world in some way. So you are married now, mm-hmm. and you have two children. I do. I have 10-year-old twins. Okay. And you have two dogs? And I have two dogs. Okay. So the deal is always, and this was stated from the beginning of my marriage, that I will have two dogs. Okay. Because I once made the terrible mistake of having one dog, and when that dog passed away, I thought I was going to have to move. Uh-huh. Because opening the door, I mean, it just, it oh, was so sure. unbearable. So now I sort of double up. Yeah. So currently I have a 14-year-old pit rescue, and I have a young punk, one-and-a-half-year-old, who I adopted last June. Okay. And what are their names? So the older one is named Buddy because when I adopted him from ACC, where we're now involved animal care and control, I didn't realize that the dogs were named at intake. I didn't understand strays came in. They did not have names and they were making them. So I didn't realize that I had the flexibility to change that name. The other dog that came in um, to our lives last June is named Joliti after a place we love in Rome, but we call him Joe. I love it. He's just Joe. That's great. And... So when you were dating your your now husband, mm-hmm. he understood the idea that you were going to have, that dogs were a big part of your life. Oh, it was a non-negotiable. Uh-huh. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, it's, it is absolutely what makes my life feel full and right and take this deep breath you hear me taking. Yeah. And a, a home without a dog, and it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Anyway. It's funny. It reminds me, when I was dating, I was dating somebody once, and I had my dog, Tiny Tim. And this person was, 
he was like, wait, what about me? And he was getting a little bit like, why is Tiny Tim sitting next to you on the couch? And I'm like, don't make me choose, you know, because you're going to lose out. And he got it. And we ended up being great friends. It didn't work out. But can you even be friends with someone like that? <laughs> the lack of generosity in there. I don't know. They ended up getting their own dog. Uh, and then okay. his life, you know, his life changed and he got it. Yeah, he got it. And that's what happens, I think, sometimes. But if somebody, yeah. It's really important to to have that understanding going into something because it is. It's so critical and so important to have a dog in one's life. I love it. So the two dogs that you have, you had Buddy before you had your your twins. I've, Buddy has had several other dogs with him. Okay, not made it past. So yes, I had Buddy for two or three years before I had the girls. Okay, and he was with another ancient pit that we had rescued when he was seven Mm -hmm. then he was with deja as well and then we had another rescue from acc named desiree and then we got joe you mentioned that buddy was sort of a nanny absolutely i was going through their baby photo albums with them last weekend and there is almost not a single photograph where buddy is not lying wrapped around and Uh next to these two they were preemie twins Uh so they were tiny and just constantly with them, following them, lying down next to them, checking in on them. And in fact, he still sleeps in their room every night. I lost him to them. He used to sleep with That's me. That's wonderful. Yeah. I was asking my dog-centric daughter, Dahlia, when we were talking about my coming down here. Yes. What is it that you love about dogs? And the way she answered was sort of an eye roll and then what what do you mean what isn't there to love unconditional love affection whoever wants to live without another dog and i i think it really is in the genetic coding it's like that wonderful mary oliver line Mm -hmm. the heart loves what the heart Mm -hmm. loves and one of my daughters was born with that my other daughter is very fond of the dogs but doesn't have that i can't live without them exactly interesting I try to be very careful about wanting them to find their own way and, and just being an example around the house in the ways that I can. So I don't eat meat, so they don't eat meat. But I've always told them, you try whatever you want to try to make decisions that work for you. And in terms of the dogs, they just watch me go off to... Uh, it's no longer animal care and control. It's animal care center. Yes, exactly. Sorry, animal care center yeah. for a day a week and my involvement in those dogs. And the, and coming home upset because it's a high kill shelter and you, you know, you're saying goodbye to a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And the dogs that we're rescuing and, and, and. Yeah, and, it's very emotional. A lot of hard stories. Yeah, and I haven't really told them, but I think that they see it happening. And last year at the end of third grade, they had to write a persuasive essay, and it could be about anything. And she turned out without my participation. She just showed it to me when she was done, this beautiful 10-page essay on why pit bulls are amazing animals and why they've gotten this bad rap. And it was just so wonderful to think all we have to do is do what we should be doing. And it, you know, when it, I hate the word authentic, but yeah. when one is living one's true life, and doing it because it's the right thing for us, it resonates out into the world. Children are being raised to have this in their mindset and thinking about these things. I mean, that's a wonderful upbringing. Good for you. It's a little bit fraught. I mean, I was saying to them, (laughs) 
why do I keep doing this? Because so now we have this one and a half year old. And, uh-huh. and as you know, when you get a dog home from the shelter and they get comfortable, behaviors can change. Yes. So I was so excited because we rescued for the first time ever the quote unquote bomb proof dog. Yes. Yep. This dog was the rock star in play group. But, uh-huh. And of course I got him and it turns out, you know, he's, he's selective. Yes. Let's say he's selective. Gotcha. So when we walk through the park, we walk from home to school in the morning so I can give him that mile walk before we go to meet his best friend's. And they watched me getting very worked up every time a dog would approach. And I explained to them, because he is a pit bull, he is being held to standards by me and others that no other dog would be. I mean, I am frequently watching dog fights break out and everybody just says, oh, well, and they pull them apart. Right, exactly. But Joe doesn't have that, that flexibility. Yes. He has to be perfect. So they're watching a more loaded relationship with a dog than most people would necessarily have, but... It's the price of living with a dog in the city. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of living in the city, mm. so you had mentioned that having a dog in the city is like an incredible social connector. Mm. I love that term. It's really extraordinary. So I grew up um, in a park on the east side and where when I went to college and my mother took over the dog, she became so close to somebody that they're now close family friends and she's the godmother to the daughter. And And now I have this lovely friendship with, somebody thanks to Joe. And what's interesting about it is I spend an hour with her every morning. We have absolutely nothing else in common, which means that we can be completely honest with each other without even thinking about it. There's these intimate connections you make that you aren't having to bridge. How do you know this person? How do you know that person? You know, what do you do? What do right, you do? Exactly. You go right to the dogs. And this is in the dog park. It's in Central Park. Central Park. So it's a okay. much bigger... And dogs are allowed off-leash before nine. So you sort of find your people, find your dog friends, and then you have this walk. And it's this very intimate life with these people where you notice if somebody isn't there for a week or you know how their kids are doing. And I mean, this morning I had to get a referral for a doctor for another friend, and I asked her, and I didn't even hesitate because, of course, she would have that. And I just love that getting to the heart of things really quickly. And Mm -hmm. then by 9 o'clock, then we go into our lives. Right have a lot of nonsense attached to them or have a lot of confusion and distractions. But this is, you begin your morning like a walking meditation. Yeah. And that's your morning routine. Well, and then when I have time, then I take Joe for a six mile run on top of that because I am determined to wear him down. Good for you. Well, yeah, a tired dog is a happy dog. Exactly. But I will say also, I do find that my relationship with dogs is actually very helpful in I don't go into the smartphone craziness because I really am present in the morning with my dogs. And I think if you can, if you can start your day without being attached to your phone, it's much easier to continue your day without being attached to your phone. I agree with you. As demanding as dogs are and as children are, when something is demanding your attention so often, it's harder to go into yourself and be on your phone and be on your, because something's bonking at your legs Mm. saying, what about me? What about me? What about me? And it's a wonderful way of getting out of wherever you are. I also think, you know, in terms of depression or hard times in life or whatever it is when our, our instinct is to climb into ourselves and maybe into our bed, there's a dog that needs to be walked. Sure. And walking that dog means there's going to be eye contact with other people walking their dogs. And you realize, okay, so what I did today was walk to my dog for an hour, but you got dressed and you walked your dog. Exactly. And that's an amazing thing to have done. So they really do keep us functioning, I think, at our highest levels. When my husband John died, 
my dogs were there for me and I had to get up every morning to walk them. And it was always John, my husband's job to get up in the morning and he would get up at the crack of dawn and walk them and I'd sleep in and he'd bring me coffee. That was no longer the case. So I would get up every morning and I still do at like 5.30 in the morning to walk them. And that's so not me, but now it is. <laughs> but that's, that's the other thing about dogs and children, right? I mean, suddenly you're up at 5.30 yeah. in the morning. What the hell happened? I know. So, yeah, so my days of going out and staying out all night or whatever are long gone. But I'm very, I'm much happier about yeah. that. And they do. I have this great routine now. And so I'm in bed early. Mm. I love, Are they in bed with me? <clears throat> one is in bed with me. One's in and out of bed with the me. The Burmese Mountain Dog. Gave yes, and one is under the bed. I mean, and then Millie, my um, my oldest, who's twelve, she will. I can hear her kind of wandering around the house at four, and I'm like, click, 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 yeah, click, yeah, click. yeah. And then she, and then she'll start barking and playing with her toys in the other room, and I'm like, uh. what? But um, it really does. It's a wonderful way to begin my day, yeah. and. Living in New York City, walking the dogs, putting your clothes on, the ritual. Yeah. It's it is. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful experience. And and to me, walking my dogs is like walking meditation. It is. So and it connects us with the other people on the street. Yes. And this I, I realize it's interesting to be living in the city now because when I was growing up here, we always used to smile at each other or growl at each other or whatever you do on the street with New Yorkers. Yes. And now everyone's on their phones. Yes. But when you have a dog you're all still meeting and greeting each other. Oh, so it's always. a it's a nice street life. I agree with you. Yeah, and back. I've made and as you had said about being in the park in the morning with your dogs, I've made so many friends mm. in the dog park and or on my block, whether they have dogs or whether they're a dog they just lover. Love your dog. Yeah. Right. And it is it really it's like a real icebreaker yeah. for people. And I agree. It it keeps me out of my head. It mm-hmm. keeps me not thinking about all of my own issues. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's a beautiful thing about why everybody in the world should have a dog. We were talking about our rituals and your morning ritual, your morning routines, but also like, what is your ideal night? What is your <laughs> ideal evening? Well, this won't make me popular with a lot of people in my life, but this is my ideal evening. My ideal evening is I read to my children they are in bed with the lights out at seven and they don't come out again. <laughs> and then I begin on the couch with my two dogs curled up on me and a book. Yeah. And then I would say by eight thirty or nine, I'm in bed with my dogs. Yeah. Alone, a book, my dogs. And that to me is just the most wonderful evening I could possibly have. <laughs> and I don't need to get dressed up. Yeah. And I don't need to put on mascara. <laughs> and they still think I'm fabulous. Yes. It's wonderful. I don't it's, even need to make conversation. Right. I'm the same way. I mean, now, I mean, I do read some nights and then other nights I'll just bring my computer into bed mm-hmm. with me and watch Netflix. But yeah, having them all there. Oh, the comfort, right? It's the best. It's the best. I love sleeping with dogs so much. And whenever I'm with people who say, oh, I've never let a dog on the bed. And I think, oh, well, I don't know that we're going to be friends. I mean, I get it. I get that it's sort of disgusting that they walk through the streets and then they're getting onto your beautiful sheets, but it just makes everything right. I agree with you. Really does. I agree. You wrote a fabulous article for the Huffington Post called 11 Ways Having a Dog Helped Prepare Me for Having Twins. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I think I put off having children for a very, very long Uh time, partly because I was so happy with my dogs. (laughs) Yeah. So by the time I had them, I certainly 
found having children, I find having children as challenging in all the ways that other parents talk about. But there were certain aspects of it that I did not find as challenging because I have always been responsible for other human beings. So there's a part of having children that can be a bit of a grind, you know, the same old, same old, same old, same old. And that isn't to say that I don't, I am not as affected by it emotionally as other people, but I wasn't surprised by it. Right. And part of that is having always had two dogs. I did understand what it was to show up and to have to show up. And I didn't have that, but wait, I go out every night with my friends and now I can't go out with my friends because even when I was a young woman in the city, I would be going home to walk my dog or dogs and then going out to meet my friends, right? And I wasn't staying over at people's houses. I was coming home to be with my dogs and weekends were very structured as well. So I didn't have that sense of loss of freedom or agency that I know that a lot of parents have because I understood what a disciplined home life looks like and it's not always fun and it's not always doing what you want to do but that the rewards are so worth it exactly and how do you feel i like to always ask this question how do you feel dogs rescue us of course Um, how do you feel that dogs rescue us back we grow up as children believing that our parents love us unconditionally it dawns on us around the first spanking or the first grounding, their first punishment or the first whatever it is that actually our parents don't love us unconditionally. There are a lot of conditions involved. And I think in many ways we spend our lives trying to get back to, can we find that person who will see us for who we are and love us unconditionally? Can we feel the same way? And it becomes a fool's errand because that's not what being a human being is. You know, it's much more complicated than that. And the gift of dogs is they do. They just fit that bill and they love us unconditionally. And I think there's something very primordial about feeling seen and loved no matter what that rescues us in a very profound, profound way. So I think that's that's the, the really giant way. That is when we talk about curling up in bed with our dogs, that, that's sort of what we're talking about, right? That the day is over or the day is beginning with them and... We have a moment to be in the world just who we are. And that is something that is so rare to find in the world because we're so infrequently able to do that. And then I think on on just on a daily basis, it's what we've been talking about, about having to show up. And our instinct is to not show up. Our instinct is to check the Twitter account and, you know, to go buy expensive clothing that makes us feel better and sort of all of this addictive feeding this giant God-sized hole. Yes. And dogs demand that we show up. And I think that when one develops that routine and that habit, whether it's like a yoga practice or whatever it is that helps center us, it becomes a way of living our lives that makes us better people and certainly happier people. Absolutely. Those are beautiful answers. And, and the fact that you're raising your kids with dogs in their lives and it just it provides a much more multifaceted experience for them that they're going to cherish forever. We also have a rescue rabbit uh-huh. from ACC. Oh, wonderful, yes. And a horned chameleon. There's a lot happening. Oh, it in sounds our that's wonderful. Good for you. That's amazing. Well, they'll get one childhood, so they're lucky kids. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming and speaking to us today on Dog Save the People. How can we find you online? I'm very shy of social media. Yes. Good for you. It, 
yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. Um, Deja Foundation is dejafoundation.org, okay. I believe. And you can just Google my name and I'm very emailable. All right, good. Um, and people should absolutely feel free to reach out with any training concerns, rescue questions. That's great. Anything else, I'm here. Good. And that's, I appreciate that because finding of the right trainer yeah. means everything. And it's again, people are very everything. paralyzed by... Yeah. By this fear of, oh my God, how am I going to train this this dog? Yeah, and we have wonderful networks. So even if I don't know somebody where you live, I can very easily reach oh, out to somebody, great. reaches out to somebody, and sort of within 24 hours. And also, if one is rescuing a dog, it can be different behavioral concerns than how do I get my Labradoodle puppy to pee outside? Sure, of course. And so we can sort of help with that a lot. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. That's great. I really enjoyed hearing about the relationship between Rebecca's dogs and not just her, but her whole family. It's amazing the bond that she's fostered between them, especially Buddy and her kids. I love that they're so proud to have two rescues and that Buddy has been like a nanny to them. It sounds like a house with a lot of love. Plus, it's given Rebecca purpose, allows her to connect more with her community in New York and help to inspire her to start her own foundation. I love that Rebecca wrote books about people and their dogs. It wasn't just about the dogs. It was really about how these dogs impacted the people, their owners, and how these people then went on to inspire others, having been so profoundly moved and changed by their relationship with their dogs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio and it's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review or rating. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. You can also check out the Tinyton Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.